Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Prana podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I am your host Digjay and today I have with me Arjun Vaidya, ex-CEO of India's largest D2C Ayurveda brand, Dr. Vaidya's. Arjun and his co-founder Trisha scaled up the brand and successfully exited the business to RP Sanjeev Goenka Group in 2021. Post the exit Arjun has now joined Wall Invest as their venture lead for India. Wall Invest is a leading family-owned evergreen investment group with over a billion euros in assets under management and investments in companies like Byju's, Epigamia, Wakefit among others. A Brown University alum, Arjun is also an active angel investor with 25 plus investments and a mentor to many young D2C founders in the ecosystem today. In this episode, Arjun talks about his path leading up to entrepreneurship and venture capital. his inspiration behind starting an ayurveda brand initial challenges pivots and overcoming self doubt as a founder brand positioning and differentiation learnings from the fundraising process and how should founders think through an exit transaction i thoroughly enjoyed my chat with arjun on all things venture building and i hope you enjoy this conversation too so without much ado let's jump in and find out what arjun has to share hey arjun Welcome to the VC Prana podcast. Excited to have you with us today. Hey Digjay, thanks so much for having me. Really excited for this conversation. No, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And uh, you know, I know by now most of our listeners would know about you, about the D2C exit that Dr. Vedya has had. But just for those handful who wouldn't know you yet, uh, maybe we can start with a brief background about yourself. Sure. So my name is Arjun Vedya, and Vedya, my last name means Ayurvedic doctor. I come from a legacy of 150 years of Ayurveda in my family. My grandfather, great grandfather, and generations before all Ayurvedic doctors. Uh, I'm Bombay born and raised. I went to the US for my undergrad. I went to Brown University. I came back to India in 2013. I worked three years in private equity at a fund called L Capital, now called L Caritin. Quit my job in 2016 to start an Ayurvedic products business called Dr. Vedya's. Uh, 2017, my wife joined. We pivoted to online only. Um, built D2C before D2C. was called D2C uh scaled it to India's largest ayurveda brand online um raised a series A from RP Sanjeev Goenka group and in march this year sold the business to them uh and now i i i can say i'm a full time vc i run the venture investing arm for world invest in india awesome awesome and that's you know an amazing journey and there's so much you know to dive deeper into uh so let me start with you know the genesis and you know just for the context of the audience uh tell us you know what was the inspiration you know to start this business in the first place you know leaving a cushy private equity job to start a you know d2c brand of yours yeah so i guess it's a lot about my legacy right so look as i said we have a 150 years of ayurveda family legacy my grandfather great grandfather and generations before all ayurvedic doctors my dad graduated from med school and took on his father's practice uh in the 80s and 90s he became probably india's most successful ayurvedic doctor he used to see 300 to 350 patients a day in his clinic he had 12000 patients right in via post and post was the e-commerce of that time but he never really cared for sales distribution marketing or strategy he was a doctor right and so he cared for service more than anything else he cared for giving a free consultation to all of his patients he cared for healing his patients right that's what a that's what a doctor cares for uh, and my dad graduated from college in the late 80s he believe that what my grandfather was doing in the clinic in the clinic could be amplified to hundreds of thousands of customers right that was the sort of idea behind what he wanted to do they tried to work together for a year 
doctors and businessmen see eye to eye. And so eventually my dad went his own way and now has run what, what is my family business in the jewelry and watch space and has been running that for the last 35 years. It's a company called the Rose Group of Companies. But I was born with asthma, right? So from age two, I suffered from juvenile bronchitis. I grew up with pumps, nebulizers, inhalers, steroids. Uh, and asthma actually prevented me from having what I would call a normal childhood, right? So I went to play cricket at age five, like most kids do. Um, or most kids at that time did. Uh, and by age seven, my grandfather moved me off the cricket field because there was too much dust on the cricket field. And that wasn't good for my asthma. So I was the only kid playing golf and squash at age seven, seven and a half. Today, it's not common, but when we were growing up, it was common to have Coca-Cola, Limka, Fanta and Sprite at birthday parties. I was the only kid who wasn't allowed to have that um, because the color would jack my throat and I'd fall sick. I didn't have ice cream till I was 13 years old, right? So uh, asthma prevented me from doing all these things. Uh, and 14 years of painstaking treatment later, my grandfather cured me of asthma and I became the captain of my school cricket team, right? For me, it meant a lot. Right. For me, it meant that asthma allowed me to get over my uh, ability to not play cricket and to be able to get on the cricket field again. And so I became a believer in Ayurveda more than just family legacy. It became something that meant a lot to me. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. I transcribed the scriptures in, to the computer, like literally the Sanskrit and Gujarati scriptures to the computer. And I made my grandfather promise at that time I'd do something with the legacy. So I went to the US when I was 17 and a half. I went to Brown University. I studied economics and international relations. Uh, but I went there to study biotech, actually. That's what my dada said. Study biotech and come on and take on the legacy. I, the first year, my dada paid for my education, actually. And then I didn't take any science classes. So he stopped paying. And, and my dad had to pay. But I think the exposure in the US really ended up being the thought process behind what Dr. Vegas ended up becoming, right? So saw so move towards natural organic products. I saw the whole foods revolution. I saw yoga being repackaged, right? yoga mats, yoga gyms, yoga pants, yoga apparel, Lululemon, like multi-billion dollar industry in the US. And I thought to myself, they've taken what we had, they've repackaged and they've sold it back to us. And hey, we had nothing to do with it. India had nothing to do with the proliferation of yoga, right? So the same should not happen with Ayurveda. That was the, that was the thought process. Came back to India in 2013. I worked three years in private equity, as I said, in El Capital. And spent a lot of time on the Indian consumption story, right? Because we were consumers, investors. So I saw three big changes happening, right? I grew up in an India, which was obsessed with imported products. I grew up in an India where I was gifted a Japanese electronic sharpener for my 11th birthday from a store that only sold imported products because what was considered imported was good. And what was considered Indian was considered bad, right? This changed um, and quintessentially Indian brands were being built. Indian consumers were happy to consume Indian products. E-commerce was also happening, right? So I was the youngest member of the El Capital team at that time and e-commerce had happened in the US, happened in Europe, happened in China and the fund had for whatever reason not made any investments. They said, hey, like you're young, like you'll understand this. Go and check out what's happening with e-commerce. And I remember the first few days of work, we were spending time questioning whether Indians would buy clothes online. Think, Remember this is 2013, right? So we were fundamentally different eight years ago. And I saw Mintra and I saw Jabong and I saw Pepper Fry and I saw Zivame and I saw Bluestone and I saw First Cry. So all these businesses getting built in front of my eyes, right? So e-commerce was here to stay. Uh, and Ayurveda was going through a revolution, right? Uh, renaissance, as I, I like to call it. Ministry of Ayush created, government was changed. Uh, Patanji revolution was happening. Hundreds of thousands of customers like you became interested in Ayurveda. Unilever relaunched Ayush, their Ayush range of products. Colgate launched a herbal toothpaste. 
So it was like the perfect storm for Ayurveda from a macro context, right? Or online Ayurveda. And from a micro context, unfortunately, my grandfather passed, right? And so I'd made him this promise and, and it was a thought that was in the back of my mind. And then April 2016, my dad's 50th birthday, they had a small celebration at his office for him. His whole team was there. And I gave a speech there on my dad and sort of what he taught me. And at the end of the speech, a bunch of people came up to me. And by this time, my dad had passed. So his clinic was running as a dispensary. And only the patients who had prescriptions were getting the medicine. And uh, this one lady who was his nurse for 17 years, she came up to me and she said, you talk about your dad, but are you going to let your grandfather's legacy die? And that to me was like, uh, you know, for entrepreneurs, that aha moment, that like switch flip. That's when the switch flipped me. I quit my job and yeah, pretty much just went head on to start this business. Awesome. That's very strong background, you know, both in terms of the legacy and, you know, growing up, you've seen, you know, the impact of Ayurveda on yourself. Uh, you've seen the difference, uh, that aspect. And also, you know, the market changing at the time you started e-commerce and D2C opportunity starting, you know, to come up, even though it was not called D2C at that point. So, you know, a lot of things coming together for you at the right time. And of course, the, the energy that, you know, you bring as a founder in this field, given your background and history with Ayurveda, that's definitely moving. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I want to talk about, and this, you know, maybe applies for any D2C brand. Initially, there's a lot of challenge, uh, you know, that you face to build a differentiation for yourself, uh, you know, for any product in market, especially D2C. So how are you thinking about this question of, you know, differentiating, you know, Dr. Vedya's as a brand and having a voice of your own, a unique voice as a brand when you are just about to launch so look, Dijay, I'll first say one thing. I'll say that I operated a D2C business before the term D2C existed. And so we operated in a different paradigm, right? I tell founders this all the time today. I say that, look, my problem was I had to convince Dijay to come online and buy. Your problem is Dijay is buying online, but he's got 20 options, right? So if Dijay came online and wanted to buy Ayurveda, he would buy me because nobody else was really creating a good experience. Today, if Dijay comes online and looking for Ayurveda, he has like 20 options to buy. So I think that was a different paradigm. Having said that, Dr. Vedya stood for three things, right? So, I, you know, my wife and I teach a course on D2C now and, and the module I'm most passionate about is brand is a being, right? And in the module of brand is a being, we have this brand spider or brand spider web exercise, right? Where you put all these words that your brand could mean, right? And for Dr. Vedya, it was like legacy, tradition, 150 years, Ayurveda, new age, modern, Indian, natural, safe, no side effects, family, brand, all of these things, right? And then eventually boiled down to what we really stood for, right? The first was 150 years of legacy to build the credibility. The second was new age Ayurveda, building a connect between 150 years of my family legacy, 5,000 years of science and modern consumers like you. And the third was proudly Indian, right? You see me wearing this band of India on my hand. I'm super, super patriotic and passionate about taking India to the world. And so these were the three philosophies or pillars behind which the brand was built. So it was legacy and credibility with 150 years. It was repackaging to appeal to the modern consumer. And it was fundamentally and proudly Indian as a brand. And that stood for eventually everything we did as a brand. If you look at what we did, these three words will be associated with everything we did. Got it. And, you know, while you were doing this exercise and trying to identify, you know, uh, in, by looking inward as to, you know, what Dr. Vedas uh, represents, were there any external signals or any signals from customers that helped you, you know, uh, bring those inputs inside while you were defining your own brand? 
Look, I think defining the, the brand, we did a bunch of focus groups, but like it was very evident that this was a gap, right? So it was not like I was trying to make a super specific niche to define where the brand stood. What we did with the brand actually was stay very close to the customer, right? If I told you this in 2016, you would have just nodded your head and said, this is a gap, right? So I think the gap itself didn't come to me from like speaking to hundreds of thousands of customers because it was a gap. Like everybody saw it. Correct. It was like, it had to happen. Right. I think what we did with the brand, what products we launched, how we pivoted to online, that is all separate conversations. But I think thesis behind the brand, I mean, it wasn't rocket science. It was, it was a gap that had to be filled. Agreed. Fair point. So, you know, talking more about that, right. Going to market, uh, when you launch a brand, Again, this is very different from, you know, when you started and very different now, but like you mentioned, right, how you pivoted is also a part of this journey because you started with a different approach, but with time, you know, you move to different channels to acquire your customers and scale up that brand. So if you could talk about the go-to-market strategy, you know, initially what you were thinking and how did that, you know, morph into a completely online D2C brand? Yeah, sure. I think it's a really important thing to talk about because it also sort of will bring up the point of failure. And it's not talked about in the entrepreneurial world enough. Um, and I'm a big proponent of, of sort of talking about it, celebrating it and learning from it, right? So look, started in October, 2016, um, had a big launch event at Taj Lands and Hotel, uh, invited a bunch of people, press, distributors, friends, family. It was a, seemed to me at that time to be an amazing event, right? Like outstanding event. Um, so yeah, wrapped that up and signed on six, seven distributors. Post-signing these distributors on, did 10 lakhs worth of primary sales. And for me, that was amazing, right? In Jan 2020, I had already done 10 lakhs of primary sales. And I started thinking to myself, like, hey, I was a good student. I went to a good college, had a good job out of college. Now I'm doing business. Like, like this is like, it's, it's, it's happening, you know? And, and the private equity analyst in me is saying 10 lakhs, 20 lakhs, 50 lakhs, one crore, crores, five crores, like just building that Excel sheet out and saying, you get a million dollars and then blah, 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 all of these things, right? And then hired 22 sales reps. And didn't realize there's a big difference between primary sales and tertiary sales, right? So I had built to distributors. Distributors had to build to retailers. Retailers had to build to customers. Only once customers would pay, would the cycle go back up and I would get paid. And so three months later, in like March, April 2017, I got 9 lakhs worth of this, 10 lakhs worth of stock back. And that's when like the world came crashing down, right? For Arjun Vedia, who had been a good student and had a good job, such a failure had never come in life, right? And so it was really tough to take for me at that time. Uh, but I think good sense prevailed. I spent a lot of time reflecting, realized that offline is extremely competitive, right? Dabar, Himalaya, Patanjali, Vedyanath, Zandu, Imami, all of these brands already exist. They're some of them hundred plus years old, have a great grasp. I don't know offline myself. I'm not good. I'm not a good offline operator. I don't have experience. I'm 24 and a half, 25 years old. I, mean, I don't know how this works. And uh, I don't have the money to do an ATL ad. I used to show my distributors social media campaigns and they would just look at me and be like, I don't care about this. I really do not care about this. Right. So I think all of that made me realize that this is not happening. Right. And I think the best decision we made at Dr. Vedas was cut the call. Just say, okay, it's not happening. Like we're not going to do it anymore. And uh, yeah, from there, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she had moved back from Goldman in the UK and worked at the founding team at Nike. And she just said, Arjun, this e-commerce thing is happening. Right. So I convinced her to join the business. And that's when we started working on online. We launched our website in November, 2017, Uh, We had started with two products. One was a hangover product called Live It Up. Uh, and the other was 
Chavan Prashan capsule called Herbofit. So that was how we launched offline. And then we realized that two products isn't going to cut it. So when we launched the website, we had 29 products. And that, that's the beginning of the online journey of Dr. Media. But started with a big failure. And yeah, I mean, Pivot was the best decision of my life. And, you know, while you were facing that failure, right? You know, a complete stop to the business. You know, like you mentioned, your wife came in as a co-founder for you and, you know, worked along to build the online presence and, you know, pivot to that extent. Were you just, you know, reflecting by yourself or did you have any specific, you know, sounding boards to uh, get advice from or just get some opinion on the way forward? Look, I think my dad's an entrepreneur, right? So he started a, he's a first generation entrepreneur, right? So he started a business from scratch. So he knew what I was going through and my family was extremely supportive. My dad, my mom, my brother, my grandmom, all really supportive of what we were doing. And I was harder on myself than they were. They were like, really like, you're beating yourself up too much. It'll take time, but it'll, it'll happen. Like you're putting the hours in, it's, it's going to happen, right? And, and so I think it like comes back to a cricket analogy, right? Like, look, I, I don't know if you watched the IPL game yesterday. Sunrisers against Punjab, right? And Jason Holder got 3 for 19 and got 47 of 24 balls. He was the best bowler by far in the game. And the best batsman, the only batsman with a strike rate above 120 in the game. But he still lost, right? And so, sometimes it's like, as a founder, you may work really hard, right? You may put in the hours, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I think that keeping on working hard through the failure, uh, eventually leading to the success, I think that that was what I learned from that first, first part of the journey. And yeah, I love cricket analogies. I write a lot about this on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking about it this morning in my job. Um, I run every Sunday morning. And I was thinking about it. I was like, like Jason Holder could not have done anything more than he did yesterday, but it just wasn't enough. No, absolutely agree. And you know, to that point, uh, what do you think was your you know most difficult phase? You know, from starting uh, to the exit, like throughout that journey, what was the most difficult and challenging time for you? The first two years, right? Because look, I think. Uh, it took us two years to get from zero to 50 orders a day on our website with the offline failure and then starting the website. And then the next two years went from 50 to 5,000 orders a day, right? That first two years, there's a lot of self-doubt that creeps in. Maybe I'm just seeing the thing wrong. Like maybe I should just give up. Like it's not happening. Like I'm just, no one's resonating with what I'm doing. Um, a lot of that self-doubt is really tough, right? Because you're establishing a brand in a very tough space. Spoke to so many people that Ayurveda disaster, never get into it. People from the Ayurveda industry, like you think you can build a startup in this space? No chance, not possible, right? And then, and then you know, when you're not doing well, right? Everyone starts becoming a critic. Friends, family, people you kind of know. I saw your competitor here. You should do this. You should do that. And when you're successful, those same people come and say, I knew you'd be successful. Yeah, fantastic. Like, you're such a good guy, you know? So I think that that first two years of like, struggling, working hard, not seeing as many results, like self-doubt, people like just questioning what you're doing, trying to like go and tell investors your story and everyone's just like, it's not, it's makes no sense, right? So, so I think, yeah, that's, that, that was definitely very, very difficult. Uh, but, but I think uh, fortunate that we tied it through that period and then eventually saw some success. Um, and, and that period can be one year, two years, three years, five years, seven years for entrepreneurs, right? And it's really hard. So I think my job now as a founder who's built and sold a business is to be there for founders and, and to help them through these times. And I, I do it a lot. 
yeah no absolutely agree and you know it's it's that phase where you need someone that can help you bring that self confidence back and also as a founder right it's a lonely journey you know as it's rightly said it's it's difficult but uh, the ones who you know go through and successfully are able to ride through that phase are able to you know see the success uh, thereafter so you know after the shift right you uh, the online presence is established now the time is to scale up and one of the levers you know available uh, for founders to scale up is fundraising and you were very thoughtful about when you wanted to raise funds and also from whom you you know wanted to raise funds so if you could you know step back and tell us what were you thinking when when you had to like scale up what was the thoughts going on behind the timing of the fundraise and second who were you you know trying to raise from uh, was it just the strategics that you were looking at that you eventually raised from or were there op- other options that you were evaluating as well i think the best part about a fundraise is that both sides have the ability to see many options right and so we spoke to everyone to be honest and everyone spoke to us and probably everyone spoke to everybody else that there was to speak to as well i think eventually my view about a fundraise is actually the fundraise is irrelevant it's someone who becomes your partner for a very long time right yeah or investor relationship is a marriage and it has to i mean it's a a very long relationship maybe not as long as a typical marriage but it at least lasts 7 years 6 years 5 years right so got to be okay to meet that person every month for 5 years and and so i think uh, we spent a lot of time with different people and eventually chose the group of people that had most conviction in us what we were going what we were set out to do uh, and alignment of vision was really important right because all on the same cap table but you have to think about the business the same way to to work through it so i think when when founders talk to me i say hey like find smart capital capital today is a commodity right when i was building it was not a commodity it was not so easy to just raise around and shut your eyes and get a few million dollars today that's happening uh my wife wrote a linkedin post the other day about having to fight for allocation and she wrote about in a positive way saying that like when we started there was no existence of this right like founders were pretty much begging for funding and investors control everything today it's the other way around like angels like her have to fight for allocation and sell themselves to founders to get some allocation right my view on this is you got to find the person who has most conviction and most sort of meeting of minds with you for that vision and sometimes valuation and and those kind of things are not as relevant so how does a founder assess and you know we'll come to the timing aspect in a bit of the fundraise itself but you know today if a founder is going and like you rightly said it's capital is a commodity people are actually fighting for allocation there's not much which might be you know differentiating two venture investors or you know two strategics even at some point in time how does the founder you know go about establishing that there might be alignment of vision how do you you know what are the signals that you look for so i had a great chat with uh, the founder of wakefit chaitanya and he told me how he did it and actually it was a really nice way to put it because i couldn't articulate it in this way he said arjun this is a person i'm going to have a relationship with for a very long time if i can have lunch or dinner with that person and not talk about work i'm fine it's just business 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 all the time and we don't have a relationship outside of that it may be difficult to build a strong relationship and partnership so i think it's like very well put right if you can meet that person and have a conversation outside of just the company you guys invested in together then you're gelling beyond just um, a transactional relationship and at the end of the day initially everything's hunky dory the news comes out like it's written about everyone celebrates fundraisers but a pretty famous vc actually told me that 
you know, I get confused when people send me messages saying congratulations on investing in this company. Because the day the investment happens, the work starts. Congratulate me on my exit, not on my entry. No, absolutely. Valid, valid points there. And, you know, talking about the timing aspect, right? Like you could have raised funds much earlier as well. Or you could have also, you know, raised a higher round. You raised 5 million at that point. So walk us through that, you know, thinking about the timing aspect as to, you know, when did you want to raise funds? Because sometimes the fundraise, you know, also put some pressure on the founders because now you are, you know, you have to get that capital uh, at work. And of course, your investors are waiting for an exit down the line. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a very good point by you that fundraise puts pressure on founders, right? And it's important to talk about this because a lot of young founders don't get it. If you raise capital, it's primary capital that goes into your company. It's not money that comes into your hand. You don't become that much richer. It's rocket fuel for your company. So if you don't know what to do with it, you're on a treadmill and you can't run at 10 kilometers an hour. Don't start running at 10 kilometers an hour until you can, right? So um, for example, I know that my pace is 10 kilometers an hour when I run, right? So I ran today at 10 kilometers an hour. I'm confident to get on the treadmill and run at 10 or 12, right? Because you run better um, on, on the treadmill than you do on, on, on the road. But that's taken me time, right? I didn't start running at 10 kilometers an hour. I was running at 6, 7, 8, 9, and then I came up to 10, 11, 12, right? Similarly, with, a, with raising capital, like until you're ready to be at that pace, there's no point raising the capital. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is like, I think like just a corollary to that in relation to our experience, only once we had PMF, which was three orders a day at an average order value that made sense and a customer acquisition cost of 30, 35% that we believe this could be hyperscale. We went and raised capital until then we were figuring out what should we sell? How should we sell? What are the top? We didn't know anything, right? So the moment we had product market fit and we raised this capital, we could actually turbocharge the business, right? We literally just, before we got the capital, we knew what to do with it, right? Because we had the product market fit. That's the perfect time to raise capital. Not when you don't know what you're going to do with it, because then it's huge pressure on you as a founder and you don't know sort of where it's going and, and, and it just, it's just not going to be a good relationship. No, absolutely. Absolutely agreed. And, you know, it comes down to a lot of self-awareness, you know, that you build as a founder, you know, with time as you're running a business and both these aspects, right? The timing aspect and whom you're raising are very, very critical. And it, it's only a self-aware founder that will be able to, you know, execute, uh, you know, right in terms of the fundraising with both these aspects. So Arjun, then, you know, moving further, now you've raised capital, you've scaled it up. The time comes where you're looking at an exit. Now you build this brand, taking the family legacy forward. Must have been a very tough decision, right? To exit the business. So tell us what led you to that decision in the first place. You know, what was the trigger that, you know, you thought it's the right decision for all stakeholders involved and how are you trying to maximize the outcome per se, like after taking that decision itself? Sure. So look, I think it's a very personal decision, right? And I think for us, when we got the opportunity to exit or we had that particular period of time, uh, we pretty much at that point just sat down, Trisha and I, and said, is this the right time? And when we sat down and we thought about what effort we had put in, what value we were getting and where we saw ourselves going forward, we thought it was the right time. Half the people I've spoken to say it was too early. Half the people I've spoken to say it was the perfect time. Nobody except us could have taken that decision for us. And you may have taken a different decision, right? So I think it's a very personal one. It's not easy. It's bittersweet. I remember not sleeping the night before telling our team that we're exiting. Uh, I remember like, like both of us literally shaking before we were telling our team. I don't cry ever. I cried while telling my team. Like I remember the last day so clearly in our office, December 27, 2020 was the last day that Trisha and I had in the Dr. Vedya's office because we said we'll hand over the business remotely. It'll be too emotional for us to, to be in the office while we're handing over the business. 
and we got out of the elevator office on the sixth floor and you know like a batsman who scores 100 like you have the fans like clapping for you as you raise your bat like from the time we exited the elevator till our desks we had our entire team clapping for us giving us roses and personal messages of what it meant right so really emotional really really bittersweet there are times when we still miss it um, there are times when i see some of my team posting sort of instagram photos of the office and i and i miss it right because pretty much like for four and a half years um most of my time was spent most of my waking hours were spent in that office on that chair like it was so crazy that we started packing our stuff on december 27th and pretty much packed our life at dr vedya's into two boxes each and that was it right it, it, that was it it was like was something that meant so much but we we packed it up and and, and it was over still miss it a lot um, i think like it's very difficult to disconnect from your identity as as the founder of dr vedya's but i think the great part is that before the age of 30 to be able to like build this have an outcome and say that like it's not like my company shut down right my company is still on growth trajectory and wherever it goes i can still remember that i was the guy behind it. it's pretty cool feeling um so it's not easy um totally not easy but but i think um, yeah that's how it is no no absolutely and it's it's definitely not an easy decision as a founder it's you know better sweet like you mentioned coming to the aspect of maximizing the outcome right like you've gone through that decision where you've decided okay this is the right thing to do uh, what would you tell founders you know when they are doing an exit negotiation right you know what are some dis- mistakes that they could avoid or what are some things they should keep in mind when thinking about and negotiating exits i think look uh, the the first thing you got to do is rip off the bandaid right remove emotion from that conversation and say like it's fine it's over right like if i'm negotiating an exit it's over the second thing i would say is think from both sides right um and think for the long term future of the business as well don't do something to hurt the business uh, and the last thing i would say would be uh just be really honest um and be really upfront about about what's a go and what's a no go right i think all of these things in any negotiation whether it's an exit negotiation or any negotiation that's what i've learned yeah makes sense okay so arjun with that i want to like switch gears and you know talk about the venture investor arjun vedya now uh, you moved to you know world invest and uh, tell us about you know the motivation uh, behind you know moving to vc uh, after this exit uh, what was it that you know told you inside that you know this is the right thing and the right path for you uh, after the exit look uh, i never thought i'd get back into investing professionally um, my wife and i we said uh, let us document everything we've learned from dr vedya's into a playbook spent a month doing that um from there actually we said look we have had an outcome which very few people in the ecosystem have had so what can we do to give back right so mentoring advising founders angel investing we're now in more than 25 companies as angels um, just giving back to the ecosystem and really enjoyed that like there is something we have to add as value right we're not just money we are genuinely people who've seen things and are able to help and, and we really like doing that right and then Uh, an opportunity came up where goal invest reached out to me and i think it's one of the best funds in the world in consumer brand investing or consumer investing and they wanted to launch a new venture capital arm uh through multiple conversations seemed like a really good group of people who had a very similar philosophy thought process and aligned interest from what i was thinking um and then yeah one thing led to another and 6 7 weeks later i signed a contract i said i need to go for a holiday 
uh, I had planned to go to Europe. That's not happening. So went to the hills for about 10, 12 days, um, Trisha and I, and then, yeah, um, started end of July. And it's been about six, seven weeks now. Tell us about, you know, the investment uh, criteria or, you know, the approach that you're taking. How do you identify, you know, a stellar D2C team or a stellar D2C investment opportunity? What are you looking for? Yeah, so we're not only looking at D2C from the fund, by the way. We're looking at consumer brands, consumer internet, enablers to e-commerce. It's a thesis I'm very bullish about. And uh, e-commerce or new commerce platforms, so slightly wider. Generally, like, what do I, what, what do I look for? Uh, I think it's founder quality and team quality. That's number one, uh, because that's what you need at the stage. Second is addressable market size. Can it really be big or is it just for South Bombay and South Delhi consumers? Because then it can't be big, um, especially in India. And the third is speed of execution and growth velocity, right? Because that's what a startup is for, right? To do what everyone does in 10 years and three years. Like get to 100 crores, everyone said it takes 10, 15 years. And we've had D2C brand just crash through that gold post. Um, so, so I think these are the three things I look at. A founder tap and velocity of growth. Arjun, with that, I want to, you know, move into our final segment, uh, which is the rapid fire. Hope to get your, you know, honest, immediate thoughts in the same. Sure. All right. First question. One thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today. Celebrating failures much more. Accepted, celebrated. If you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose and why? Uh, from zero to exit, the journey of a D2C founder. Awesome. And, you know, I'm sure people are listening to different versions of that TED talk through, you know, podcasts like, like this one. Yeah. The most unusual memorable pitch meeting you had with a founder. I've had so many memorable ones, right? Because like, the, like, for example, I invested in a company called MyFitness. Um, it's a peanut butter company. And just like speaking to those guys, they're from Silvasa. That's where my factory was seeing their simplicity, but yet their amazing execution. They, these guys do more than a million dollars a month of peanut butter in India. Just think about that. It's mind boggling. They're the nicest, simplest guys ever. Yeah. So I, I, I loved meeting them and, and they found me through my podcast, which is even cooler. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, last question, VCs and founders from the ecosystem, uh, that you admire and look up to. Oh God, there are so many, just so many. Uh, look, I'll, I'll talk about uh, MySpace, consumer investing. I've learned a lot from Deepak Shadadpuri of DSG. Uh, I've learned a lot from Manu of Source. I look up to the Fireside folks a lot. They've done some amazing investment. I've learned a lot from Sakshi Chopra of Sequoia. Uh, I've learned a lot from Sasha Mirchandani and Sandeep Murthy. Sandeep Murthy from Lightbox. I... At 23 years old or 24 years old, I told him I wanted to move to VC. And he said, Arjun, go build a business and then come back to VC. And I went and built a business and I came back to VC. And I was laughing with him a few days ago about it. So I think from uh, VCs, maybe these are some, but but yeah, there are, there are some other amazing ones um, who've done some exceptional work. Um, um, all deserve mention. I think Axel's done an amazing job. Chirate, Nikhil Vora of Sixth Sense. Uh, outstanding investments um, elevation also been really really good um, yeah so there's there's a bunch of investors founders so many so many uh, Varun Alad of Mama Earth Vivek Gupta of Licious Manish Taneja of Purple Ambrish Murthy of Pepper Fry Amit Chaudhary from Lenskart Rohan Mirchandani from Epigamia so many more right these are just Sort of, I can think of the top of my mind, Chaitanya from WakeFit. My podcast, I would say Chaitanya's episode is my favorite. Just amazing. Like we have 
so many amazing founders and and by the way these are all people i'm talking about that i personally have relationships with um there are so many more that i don't like if there is one fmcg entrepreneur that i look up, look up to it's darshan bhai from vinny i've never met him but like yeah i look up to him a lot so so a lot of people a lot of people no awesome and i guess you've given us a you know a good list of our potential guests yeah. you know to have them on the vc panel uh and couldn't agree more you know remarkable people build remarkable businesses and also invested in some remarkable you know ideas and businesses uh you know any final thoughts for you know both current and aspiring founders that are uh, listening to you through this podcast yeah I, i do i see this at the end of every sort of interaction i do uh three tips first uh entrepreneurship is not about news articles and raising funding it's a roller coaster journey that's filled with failure so approach it with grit and resilience second you can't do it alone young founders like me think if you work 16 hours a day you don't need a team you need a team because you can never compound your growth without a team and the third um so many young people i speak to today say hey this is my side gig i'll quit my job when this becomes big um by the time you quit your job someone else will be doing it much bigger and better than you so startup is not a part time gig a podcast like this like mine that's part time running part time um playing squash part time for me but my startup was never part time awesome awesome i think those are like valuable insights you know for for our listeners to take away i have learned a lot from this conversation and you know like i said thanks again for taking out time it's always wonderful you know talking to you arjun and hopefully at some point we'll have you back on the show soon again yeah awesome no thanks thanks for having me just stay safe and and, and thank you for listening to everyone who did Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VC preneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.